0: There is one way, there is this one way, O practitioners, to help living beings realize purification, overcome grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the wise path, and realize liberation. This way is the four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, Just to mention that there is this one way means that there is one way to do something, not that this is the only way. So this is the beginning of Buddha's discourse on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. It's called the Satipatthana Sutra. And it's kind of a sutra that if you had only one sutra that you could choose, if you were on a desert island or uh, you know, in a place where you had no other resources, you might want to choose this sutra, especially given its beginning and then how it follows itself up. I'll read the beginning one more time. There is this one way, O oh practitioners, to help living beings realize purification, overcome grief and sorrow, end pain and anxiety, travel the wise path, and realize liberation. This way is the four foundations of mindfulness. And another way of saying the four foundations of mindfulness is the four forms of being present, the form four forms of presence. So, this is what I would like to speak about tonight, are these four foundations of mindfulness. Clearly, what we're attempting to do in practice, and this particular discourse just spills it out with great detail, is to be aware of a body-mind experience, to be aware of all aspects of being a human being, you know, to really recognize full humanness, and to explore and investigate this human being reality in as clear and direct a way as possible. So when we look at the four foundations of mindfulness, what we're looking at is that which is all-inclusive, that doesn't leave out anything. It includes the physical life, the mental life, the emotional life. It includes the textures of life. It includes the laws of nature and how things operate and move together. And it begins from the most obvious, which is that of the body, to the most subtle, which has to do with the laws of nature, how things are operating and moving together. What the Buddha said is that one who applies mindfulness to all aspects of their existence will free the heart from torment, will free the heart from torment, from the torments of heart. And so, first of all, just to say a little bit about mindfulness itself, and then talk about how to apply it to the various foundations. Mindfulness is seeing if we can be with our experience from moment to moment in as direct as possible a way, without pausing to interpret what it is that we're experiencing, or to evaluate, or to assess, but to bring a non-verbal, non-conceptual kind attentiveness into our life from moment to moment, whatever it is that's occurring. Mindfulness is present moment attentiveness, which means it only operates in the present moment. We can be mindful of a memory, of something that's happened in the past. We can be mindful of thinking about something that we think might happen in the future. But we really can't be mindful out of the present moment. Mindfulness is only happening right here and right now. It is non-superficial. It has the quality of being non-superficial. So what this means is that it sees underneath assumptions about how things are. It sees underneath um, appearances, how things appear to be. And it sees in a deep way to really touch the truth of, of how things are. So the example sometimes used is the difference between a cork and a stone being thrown into the water. When you throw a cork into the water, it kind of just bobs on the surface whereas when you throw a stone into the water it sinks to the bottom so that's really what mindfulness is, is it's this thoroughness um, covering whatever it is that's happening it sees underneath appearances and assumptions mindfulness is very different than ordinary attentiveness and you know, we might know think that oh we've we've lived this long and You know, we've been able to take care of ourselves to some extent, and of course we've been attentive. But ordinary attentiveness picks and chooses, and it's oriented towards our wanting things to be a certain way. So ordinary attentiveness quite naturally blocks out aspects of our life that we don't want to see, and quite naturally highlights other aspects that we do want to see. So there's... In ordinary attentiveness there 's uh, a lot of self reference occurring where it 's for the benefit of of our getting what we think we want you know we 're oftentimes in error because then we get what we want and we 're not so happy um, we 're somewhat disappointed, but what we think we want is what ordinary attentiveness is, whereas meditative attentiveness mindfulness um, really serves life and doesn't so much serve the self in a narrow, limited kind of way. Of course, it includes the self, but it's not as if the self is the center of existence with mindfulness. Mindfulness is much broader and more expansive, and it really is an attentiveness that is not choosing, that is really a light upon the world. So it's not so personal. It's filled with equanimity. There's an equanimity in mindfulness, in not picking and choosing what we're going to be attentive now to. There's a the choicelessness of freedom in not using our attention to get something or to get rid of something. But for the sake of understanding, you know, mindfulness is attentiveness that is present for the sake of understanding something more deeply, understanding ourselves, understanding others, understanding the world more deeply. It's connecting in the present moment without clinging. It's connecting in the present moment without condemning or without identifying with what it is that we're experiencing as being who or what we are, you know, who we are or what the world is. It's freer than that. It's really simply a connectedness. In mindfulness, there is an acceptance, an inherent acceptance occurring. Because if we are trying to be attentive, but we're pushing away our experience as being unacceptable to see or unacceptable to experience, then we're never going to be close enough to it to fully understand how things are. So loving kindness or acceptance is an inherent aspect of mindfulness. It's not something that you can you know, pick or choose or decide should be there or not. It is an inherent part of being mindful, is the warmth of acceptance, allowing ourselves to be with loving kindness with our experiences. Mindfulness deconditions the mind. It's a way to decondition the mind. And I think a helpful image could be of a fire, that sometimes everything feels like it's on fire. And I know um, maybe everyone, but at least some of you, have experienced the body feeling like it's on fire throughout some moments in the last couple of days, or the mind feeling like it's on fire. That, that it's unquenchable. And how mindfulness operates is that it allows the fire to die out simply by not feeding it, no. simply by not adding to the fire, by pushing something away, by clinging, or by identifying with our experiences. Gradually, we notice that the fire begins to die down on its own. You know, so our role really is to allow for observation, is to allow the work of mindfulness to happen on its own without any kind of a personal timetable. But really having the faith and the trust that mindfulness does decondition the mind and that we can stop feeding the inner fires through allowing ourselves to be aware instead of clinging or pushing away or identified with. With mindfulness, instead of the sense, I am having this experience, there is the knowing that this experience is happening. Over and over again, there is the clear awareness that this experience is happening, rather than caught in the solid sense of, I am having this experience. So it's balancing. Mindfulness is balancing. It sets things right. And it's one of those things in life, maybe the only thing in life that there can't be too much of. Perhaps the only thing that there can't be too much of. The more mindfulness, the better. Because mindfulness untangles the inner tangle. It allows for spaciousness. It allows for ease. It allows for true freedom because it sheds light on that which is tangled up. It sheds light on our areas of confusion. It sheds light on our ideas about how happiness comes, or the ways in which it's possible to offer happiness to others. So it's really a vast light within that we activate through practice. We activate mindfulness through practice. The Four foundations of mindfulness include the body, feelings, consciousness, and the laws of nature. And so what we're attempting to do in practice is to apply mindfulness to all four of these arenas of life, beginning first with the body. We begin with the body because it's the most obvious. It's here. It's visible. We can see it. We open our eyes, we can see it. Everything else is much more subtle and not visible, whereas the body is very clearly visible. You could say it's the most coarse level of reality. So in a way, we start with the most coarse level of reality because it's the easiest to see, and it can sort of build our confidence up if we can be aware of something, you know? It's sometimes very hard to be aware of a thought, but to be aware of a sensation in the body can be a lot easier. Or just simply to know that there is this body sitting here can be a lot easier. So we begin with the body, and then we move into more subtle realms of existence. Ananda, who was the Buddha's attendant, said something to the Buddha once. He said this after his best friend, Sariputra, had just died. And the Buddha had died as well sometime earlier. And he was feeling bereft. And then he got this kind of insight, and he sang this song. And what he said was, the friend has passed away, meaning Sariputra. The master, too, is gone. And the master, meaning the Buddha. What friendship now equals unto this? Ah, mindfulness-directed body words. Uh, So he was experiencing mindfulness directed towards the body as being, I don't know, his new best friend, but uh, certainly an ally, certainly a refuge, certainly um, a place in which he could find some degree of peace and ease, is not in the body itself, but in mindfulness-directed body words. in this sutra, over and over again, what's repeated is to be aware of whatever it is in whatever it is. Um, As in, be aware of the body in the body. Be aware of the feelings in the feelings. Be aware of the consciousness in the consciousness. Be aware of the laws of existence in the laws of existence. So just simply starting with the body, be aware of the body in the body. What this means is to over and over again, because we do get lost, over and over again, see if we can be aware of the body exactly as it is. Without commentary, without adding, without concepts and images. You know, it's kind of this sense of sitting there and having your eyes closed and having images about how your body looks. Or sometimes you've probably noticed yourself having an image of yourself being somewhere, you know, having traveled somewhere, and then walking across a field or doing something like that. This is imagination. You know, It's not the body as the body. It's not the body in the body. It's an idea of the body. It's an image of the body. And so the instruction, in terms of real, freedom and ease, is to be aware of the body in the body. To keep mindfulness of body only, in and of itself, and not according to cultural values or cultural ideas. To directly contemplate the body free from mental uh, concoctions. Not adding anything, not subtracting anything, but to be aware in this moment of the body being the body. The Buddha spoke about six different ways to reflect on the body. And some of these ways are helpful for some people. Some of these ways are not helpful for some people. So it's not something that you have to take up everything. It's really to see what ways are helpful for you. And sometimes, I mean, what I've noticed in practice is that a certain contemplation will be helpful for a certain amount of time, and then one wants to work with another way of contemplating. Because always to look at the body from different angles, to look at anything from a different angle, is very helpful. It shakes the mind up. So to look at the body from different angles, to reflect and to contemplate in different ways, can be quite helpful. One way is to be aware of the breathing, we're all familiar with that. Another way is to be aware of the postures of the body, to realize that the body is generally in one of four postures, sitting, standing, uh, walking, and our all-time favorite, lying down. So, to be aware that one can be aware of the body in any one of these four postures. We put a great emphasis on the sitting because it's very helpful to sit still, to keep the spine straight, to be aware in the posture of sitting. But in actuality, we really want to learn how to be awake in whatever posture we find ourselves to be. Or else, you know, it's very limited if we're only aware when we're sitting. Um, Someone would have to take us around in the sitting posture to the rest of our life. I did actually hear this story a long time ago. This is total digression, but I can't help it. Of of, um, someone practicing in a style in which you were supposed to sit for really a long, long time and not move at all. And this woman got stuck in the full lotus and couldn't get out of it. And so at the end of the time, four men had to pick her up and um, bring her out of the hall, you know, one on different parts of her body. I'd never heard the ending. I think that, you know, (laughs) probably she got out of it, but I've always had that image of, you know, (laughs) being lifted up and being locked into the lotus position forever. (laughs) So, being aware that it's possible to even out. There's, there's a practice called evening out the postures. So being aware, bringing the same kind of attention to the lying down posture as to the sitting posture, bringing the same kind of attention to the walking as to the sitting, and as well to the standing. Because yeah. sometimes we tend to bring a different kind of effort to some postures than we do to others. So that's why this is being mentioned. Another is the, another area of reflection has to do with activities, being aware when we're eating, being aware when we're lifting our elbow, being aware when we're dressing, being aware when we're speaking or washing, being aware of the variety of activities that the body can go through. And you know, in terms of reflecting on the body or being aware of the body, being aware of the physicality of moving in activity, being aware of the physicality of eating, the physicality of dressing, even the physicality of speaking, which is really interesting because sometimes when we talk, we're out of our bodies and then we don't even know what we said because we haven't been around. But to actually feel the physical nature of speaking is oftentimes quite helpful, you know, to feel it in the chest, to feel what's happening in the stomach as we speak. It takes effort to speak. That's a reason why sometimes we feel a little bit more energy when we're on retreat, is because we're not using that kind of effort. So being aware of the various activities. Another area is being aware of the parts of the body. And you know, what this generally has to do with is it's really easy when we look in the mirror to be identified with our face and to think we like it or we don't like it. You know, we wish we had another face, we can live with this face for a while longer. Or to look at our bodies and to feel very identified with our bodies. Um, you know, I, I like my body, I need to work out more, I need to be thinner, I need to be fatter, whatever it might be. It's harder when you break the body down into the liver, the kidney, you know, this kind of thing, to identify with being your liver. This is where the parts of the body can come in quite handy, you know, that's really just a part of the body and is easier to not identify with. Another, the fifth aspect of being aware of the body has to do with the elements in the body, and so noticing when we're sitting there that the elements are operating that there's the water element within the body, which is cohesiveness. It binds things together. There is fire, the fire element occurring, which is heat or temperature of any sort. There's the air element that's happening, which is a sense of movement. And there's the earth element occurring, which is heaviness or pressure. So sometimes just looking at the body through the lens of the elements is very, very helpful to see the elemental nature of the body. Again, it's harder to be identified with being the fire element you know, than it is with the knee burning. But to recognize that temperature is occurring, the fire element is operating in a natural way is um, sometimes a way to look at the body in a freer way. And the last area of um, contemplation have to do with what are called the cemetery contemplations, and there's a number of them. But really what they break down into is recognizing the impermanent nature of having a body at all, that all of our bodies are subject to change that all of our bodies are subject to not being bodies anymore, and that this is important because we'll live our life much more fully in the present moment if we are aware of change. We attempt to be aware, to bring awareness to the body, to be mindful of the body, as a way to simplify our sometimes incredibly complicated relationships to our bodies. It's not always easy, as we know, having a body, and yet at the same time there's extraordinary pleasure that sometimes comes about with having a body as well. So we have quite generally a complicated relationship to this body These ways of reflecting help us to come to a wiser and freer relationship to the fact that we do have a body. It's a way to take out or to lessen the suffering element of having a body. It helps us to tap into a deeper way of relating to the body which is one where we're not rejecting or feeling alienated from our bodies and treating the body as if it were an enemy, which is not a great idea because it's not an enemy. And if we do that, we won't take care of what needs to be taken care of. And we'll be setting up something that's quite false. It's also not clinging or being identified with having a body because when our body changes and doesn't feel good and is in ill health, then uh, we will uh, suffer. There will be a problem. To recognize the ways of the body as being natural, in sync with nature, and not uh, one person's problem, not something personal to oneself, to allow ourselves to come into a relationship with the body where we see the body as being natural is, is... really quite freeing. I was remembering with my mother a couple of years ago, her, she was in her late 70s, and she was experiencing quite a lot less energy that it, than she had been used to her whole life. And, you know, it was quite a surprise, and so we were all trying to help her, you know, eat more vitamins and go to the doctor and this and that. But we found out that nothing was wrong, that um, just the usual kinds of things that she was familiar with already were happening in her body and that nothing was really wrong. And she actually refused to take the millions of vitamins that we were (laughs) trying to give her. But finally, it was kind of a very poignant moment, um, and she was talking about this quite a bit to all of us, and one of my sisters looked at her and she said, Mom, I've heard that this is just the usual thing that happens to, to the body. And she said it in a very kind way, not in, in a flippant way, of course. But just, you know, Mom, I've heard, I've heard that this is, um, you know, is, isn't this usual? Mom, isn't this a usual um, uh, thing to happen to, to our bodies? And it was very interesting, because you might think that she would have reacted in a, you know, kind of a different way. But actually what happened is she felt an enormous amount of relief, and she started laughing and saying, well, I guess I'm just winding down a little bit. You know? And of course, you know, it's, it is sad. And um, her being herself, she doesn't want to wind down. And me being her daughter, I don't want her to wind down. And yet, this is what is going to happen for all of us. It's not one person's difficulty or one person's problem. You know, It's really a great reason to practice is recognizing that this is something that really is true for everybody. It really binds us together. It really connects us instead of separates us. I think when we come into a wiser relationship with the body, we do feel less lonely and less alienated and less separate from one another. And I do think as well that we're able to help one another to work with the enormous difficulties that can be experienced in having a body. think that we are our bodies, we will have problems, we will suffer. And we do, to some extent, think that we are our bodies. And so mindfulness is a way to question this, to investigate it, to let it be shaken up a little bit. Not to at all assume that we are not our bodies, but to investigate, to see if we can be mindful of the ways that we think in a very habitual way, as in, I am. Skinny, I am this, I am that. Or this body is mine, you know. This, this knee pain is mine. We can understand the body belonging to nature. And this is what, again, connects us and allows us to feel some degree of ease and of spaciousness instead of, of clinging. When we are in contact with our bodies from in a moment-to-moment way, this contact breaks up the seeming solidity that we may have lived with our entire life because we can see that everything is shifting, that everything is changing, that the elements of the body are changing from moment to moment. It strips away our concepts and our identification. My shoulder pain, that is permanent and that will last forever. We are able to question and investigate when we look at the body in a closer way, when we're willing to sustain the attention a little bit longer than we usually are. Now this is where concentration comes in really handy because it allows us to learn how to sustain attention. And when we're able to sustain attention a little bit longer than we usually do, we are able to also see change. We are able to see that everything is changing from moment to moment and that things are not as solid as they appear to be, including this body that appears to be so solid. So instead of my shoulder pain that is permanent, we experience burning, vibration, heat. And this is much easier to be with, much easier to be aware of. In terms of being with the breathing, where to be with the breath, or how to practice being with the body, I just suggested a number of different ways to look at the body. But in terms of a basic practice of how to be with the body, it is very much a personal thing. And one wants to find a way to be with the body that is in some way compelling. I have been, Michael and I both, have been mentioning being with this body breath experience in its entirety. And I don't know if you've tried it out much, but it can be quite an interesting practice. To experiment with, not localizing in any one area in the body, not localizing in the um, stomach or in the chest or in the nose area, keeping the mind very quiet. I don't mean moving around within the body, moving to what's interesting or moving to what's painful, but holding the body in its entirety with the mind, being aware of the entire breath body experience from moment to moment. So just sitting, and just breathing. Just <coughs> five of, and I have three more foundations to go through. <laughs> well, Michael did uh, how many? Eight in four minutes. So <laughs> um, what? Okay. Um, maybe I'll just talk a little bit about the next one, feeling, just to kind of get it started, and then I'll—I um, I promise I won't leave you here. I'll—I'll I'll, um, continue with the other foundations at another time. But um, let me just start a little bit on feeling because it's very, very interesting. Um, and maybe I'll just take five extra minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling is the texture of our experience. Feeling, as defined by the Buddha, the second foundation of mindfulness, doesn't mean emotion, because this is what we generally mean by feeling, so I want to point this out right away. Emotions, which are one of the foundations that I will speak about, are much more complex and complicated than a feeling is, in terms of what the Buddha was talking about. A feeling, is the texture of our experience in its immediacy. What it means is the pleasant texture, the unpleasant texture, or the neutral texture of our experience. So from this perspective, there are only three feelings that one can feel from moment to moment. And there always is a feeling happening in each moment. And there is no such thing as a mixed feeling about a particular situation, because what is happening in actuality is that there's a pleasant feeling, then there's an unpleasant feeling, then there's a pleasant feeling, then there's an unpleasant feeling. But because it's happening very quickly, we tend to say, oh, you know, it's a mixed feeling. In actuality, if we can look at it a little bit more closely, what we can see is that feelings are changing, just like everything else. Feelings are changing from moment to moment, from pleasant to unpleasant to pleasant to neutral to unpleasant to pleasant, you know, really around in these directions from using, from the range of pleasant to neutral to unpleasant. And feelings can be based in both the body as well as the mind. So we can experience this texture in relationship to the five senses that we're familiar with, you know, through the eyes or the nose or the ears or the tongue or the body. And then we can also experience feeling through the mind, and what the mind means, this is what you could call the sixth sense. I know there's a movie out right now called The Sixth Sense, and this isn't what is meant. But the sixth sense in Buddhism means um, the mind, meaning thoughts and feelings. So a thought or a feeling, uh, I'm sorry, thoughts and emotions. So a thought or an emotion can be experienced as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And it's really interesting to relate Two sensations in the body, you know, sounds, sights, um, smells, etc., as well as recognizing that the thought that is occurring is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. No. Not so much caught in the content of it, but recognizing its pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral texture. Or the emotion that's occurring, you know, whether it's sadness or anger or grief or loneliness or happiness or peace or ease, or boredom, to be aware of the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral texture of that emotion. It's another way to be with it. The Buddha said that all things converge on feeling, that it's a basic element in life. Because of feeling, as we know, quite wonderful and noble things happen in life. People do quite wonderful and noble things out of having feelings. And we also, at times, do quite terrible and horrible things to one another out of having a feeling. What our instinct is, of course, is to try to increase the number of pleasant feelings that is possible to have in any one given moment. And to try to decrease the number of unpleasant feelings that we are having in any one pleasant moment. And, you know, this seems reasonable, for goodness sakes. I remember when I first heard about the teaching, I would think, well, why can't you just, you know, try to get more pleasure and get rid of pain? Um, the answer is because it doesn't bring happiness. You know? Sometimes our our way is to try to accumulate enough pleasant moments, thinking that if we string them all together, we'll find a lasting happiness. But probably most of us here have tried that, you know? And then we... we Um, Gain enough wisdom to come into an environment like this, realizing that there has to be another way. And what we see, whether we've identified it as this or not, is that pleasant is a feeling that arises and passes away. Painful, the unpleasant, is a feeling that arises and passes away and doesn't have to push us around. We don't have to be bullied by the unpleasant feelings that arise simply because of having a body and having a mind. We don't have to be seduced or drawn in by the pleasant, You know, which if we try to hold on to, sometimes leaves us tied up in knots or um, trying to push away everybody else in our path so that we can get what we think we want and then find out that it isn't what we want at all, that it really doesn't lead to deep and lasting happiness. It is really against the culture because, of course, whole industries have been created to try to create more pleasant feeling in life. You know? And so, in a way, to take up this practice, to really go more deeply, to try to find a lasting happiness, a lasting ease, a lasting refuge, is to some extent to go against the culture. But it does, it does bode well to do so. Being mindful of feeling in the feelings means being mindful of the texture of our experience instead of avoiding feeling, reacting to feeling, grasping onto feeling, identifying with one feeling as being good or bad. Oftentimes when we feel um, pleasurable feelings in meditation, we think that we're doing something right, and we think that our meditation is going well and you know things are good. Sometimes when we experience painful feeling in meditation, we think that it's bad and that our meditation is is going badly. Or even in, in our usual life, when we experience a painful feeling, sometimes we immediately think that we're doing something wrong. When actually feeling is part of nature, it arises and it passes away. It is impermanent. Being mindful of the feeling in the feeling, being mindful of the texture of our life, means also not judging not justifying not comparing not trying to get more of one feeling and get less of another but seeing if we can sit still in the midst of this texture of this changing texture to see if we can embrace it all without overemphasizing it you know without overemphasizing the place of feeling which can really exaggerate a certain situation without underemphasizing feeling which can lead to repression and denial of feeling being not important at all, which of course it is. When we're not sensitive and awake and alive to our feelings, we really don't know how to take care of ourselves and we definitely don't know how to take care of others. It's so essential to be aware of this aspect of life, to be aware of the pleasant, From moment to moment to be aware of the unpleasant from moment to moment to be aware of the neutral to moment to moment as well seeing feeling as belonging to nature as insubstantial changing bubbles this allows us to develop a sense of inner balance when we're swayed or pushed around or overwhelmed by feelings when we're judging when we're wanting one feeling over another feeling. We find ourselves off balance and unsteady and not always able to make the wise choice in life. Being mindful of our feelings allows us to choose wisely, allows us to move in the ways that we truly, in our hearts, want to move or want to speak or want to think, want to feel, want to be. It opens up an inner space It doesn't lead to being a cold or being withdrawn from our life or from ourselves or from others in relationship. It actually allows us to experience more refined emotions. It allows us to experience metta in a deeper way, loving kindness in a deeper way, because there's more space for it. We're not as clogged up in attachment, in wanting and not wanting. It allows us to experience a friendliness towards our experiences and towards ourselves towards others. It allows us to experience more compassion, you know, to respond to feelings with compassion. It allows us to experience more equanimity and more joy. So it really opens up these more refined emotions in our life. When we leave some room by being mindful of our overattachment to the realm of feeling, we find ourselves not as pushed around by instinct, and we discover a deeper contentment in the present moment, whatever the feeling may be. As our false ideas about who we are, that we are this body, or that we are our feelings, as these definitions begin to drop away, as we're more mindful, more aware without clinging, without pushing away, without dwelling in, without being identified with, as we're more aware of this body experience, as we're more aware of the experience of there being feelings, a luminous knowing appears on its own. It's not something that is forced. It's because there is space. And there is a sense of moving from being quite narrow and contracted to being quite expansive and roomy, a sense of roominess in the mind, of roominess, of spaciousness in the body, of roominess in the heart, being able to hold all of our experiences as they are, being able to befriend that which is difficult, being able to um, be with others with greater loving-kindness. Instead of describing and evaluating, we find ourselves able to respond to life with a greater sense of compassion and with a greater sense of wisdom. Okay, so, actually it's only five after. I did pretty well. So I'm going to give you a treat of a poem. It's called The Summer Day by Mary Oliver. Who made the world...